Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. Remember, y'all, when we read the letters, the epistles from the New Testament, we are reading someone else's mail. This letter was never intended for us. It was sent specifically from Paul, who was imprisoned, to a church that he had a relationship with in Philippi. Now pause there for just a moment, and let's acknowledge the extraordinary nature of technology, the ability to send a message from one place to another. And in in antiquity, in this era of Roman rule, the peace of Rome enabled people to travel effectively and efficiently. And what that enabled them to do is send messages, letters written down by those who knew their letters, who were literate, and to send it to someone else. Never before had this been able to be done with such frequency and trust. Paul was using the technology of the day to deliver a message, just as we are seeking to do electronically with the help of Jim Campbell and others to be able to cast our experience to those who cannot be here in person, people throughout the southeastern United States, and also globally in Europe, yes, and Australia. What we are doing is very biblical. And it's what Paul was doing in sending a message to the church in Philippi. Now we know that this letter was not addressed to us because if it had been, it would have been written very differently. Paul communicated very effectively with churches that he had a relationship with. But this, in my opinion, should not diminish the power of this moment, but actually heighten it. Consider for a moment the good that Paul did in such a small but faithful way. Who would have imagined that Paul's particular and specific letter to these these few folk in Philippi would have the impact that it has on us? If ever you doubt your contribution, imagine and remember how Paul did one thing And look at the ripples that it had throughout the ages. He was simply communicating effectively to a group of folk. But because of the work of the Holy Spirit, through that pretty innocent and innocuous experience and moment, would reach our shores 20-some-odd centuries later. Y'all, if that's not a message of hope, I don't know what is. The letter is addressed to a small church in Philippi. Paul established this church on his second missionary trip. That is his attempt and mission to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who were not familiar with God's work in the world. The people that he took with him were Silas and Timothy and Luke. We know this because the Acts of the Apostles document this very moment. Now, the converts that Paul and his team made were 
an odd assortment of people. They were unique. They were different. They were diverse. In fact, I think if we were to go back and look specifically at the kind of people that made up this very small faith community, we'd scratch our heads to wonder how they could keep it together. Consider our own church for just a moment. Yeah, we're different, come from different places and experiences. We see the world differently, but by and large, we share broad experiences in life. They didn't, and yet they still were faithful and had a very particular relationship with Paul. We know this, of course, because Paul wrote to other churches And in those letters, we learned that all was not well, either with those faith communities and their challenges that they had, or in their relationship with Paul himself. The church, we know, was very supportive of Paul. He was in prison when he wrote this letter, and he thanks them to their their support Because we know that the penal system at that time was not like our own. If they were to have food, someone would have to provide it from the outside. He would need to have other people on the outside to provide the kind of funds needed to to enable him to survive in those moments. So what was the the recipe for Paul to have such a good and rich relationship with the church in Philippi? Well, there's a hint in verse three. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. The reason the church and their pastor, Paul, had a good relationship was because of the partnership that they shared in ministry. Literally, sharing in the gospel. Paul saw the congregation as partners with him in the work that they felt called to do. To do good by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with every opportunity that they had. The Greek word that we use to describe this is koinonia, And it is service in fellowship. Truly, it means partnership. You know, come to think of it, if you look more closely at this letter, it's a love letter. There is a feeling when you read this. There is a sweetness in the words and phrases that Paul uses, an effusiveness that is often revealed, I think, when we are apart from those that we love. It's almost like the letter that you wrote to your parents when you were homesick at camp, or maybe that was just me. Remember, Paul was in prison. He was apart from this group of people that he had developed a relationship with. And this letter... If you read it, you'll see that he is homesick for their presence. He's homesick for the the friendship that had grown and emerged over the years. 
Do you remember where you were in the summer of 1994? I do. I was in Japan. I had no business being in Japan. I was a goodwill ambassador from the YMCA, and I traveled alone. This was long before texts and emails. And I remember leaving a tight group of friends that I had developed working on a summer staff at a conference center nearby. I left them, traveled alone, never been out of the southeastern United States, and landed there in Japan. And I was homesick, not so much for my family or, or home. I was homesick for my friends. As I experienced um, what I was seeing there firsthand in Japan, I missed the opportunity of sharing with them what it was like, of, of having them by my side. If I wrote them a letter and put it in the mail, I would beat the letter home. That was not a good way to share the experience. But I learned that there was one way that I could get a message to them. It was the magic of a fax machine. So what I did was I wrote out in longhand on one piece of paper, and I filled in every bit of white space. I mean, I wrote this way and that way in all the margins, and then with hands shaking, I faxed that sheet of paper with my message of love and affection to my friends back home electronically. It was just brilliant that you could do this. This is what Paul's letter to the church in Philippi feels like. You sense an urgency in Paul to convey how he feels for these folk and to offer encouragement to them. And why? Because he may not survive to see them again. Now, he's eager to give them hope that he would do so. But there's wide speculation by academics that Paul would not be released from prison except for his own execution. Like many of you all, my brother and sister and I have most recently had the experience of cleaning out our parents' house. It's hard work, as you know. It's mundane, it's boring, it's exhausting. But there are also moments of real privilege and beauty in what we might find. Early on in the cleaning out of my parents' home, I found my parents' love letters. And as you can imagine, I treated them with great sensitivity. Those letters were never intended for me. So when I found them, of course, I put them in a safe place. They were not particularly poetic, I must convey. They were honest, however. And it reminded me of a day and age when we actually took pen to paper and the kind of, of precision that it took to convey. You can't go back and delete. So it did create a space to be particularly vulnerable. And of course, we set these aside, except for the fact that we kept finding love letters. These love letters were stashed in the strangest of places. They were found in dresser drawers, 
<laughs> in baskets downstairs with everything else under the sun. There were love letters down in the office that my dad used to retreat to. There were love letters in briefcases and in notebooks. There were love letters everywhere. They were sweet and haunting and touching and true. You know, you can't help but read Paul's letter to the church in Philippi and not see that he loved his friends. He saw an opportunity to share how he felt with these people. And we are privileged with getting a glimpse into their relationship. You look more closely and you see that the correspondence is one part affirmation and another part hopeful encouragement. Do y'all remember Christmas cards? <laughs> I remember in our house, and even not too long ago, we used to have um, ways to, to display them. Some years we'd put them up over a door. We'd open them up. The scenes were beautiful and rich and reflective of, of a time and a season and an era where you'd shop for the perfect ones Band boosters and baseball teams and Girl Scouts, they'd, they'd sell Christmas cards. Do y'all remember this? And some folk, of course, would just sign their names. Others would write a personal message. And then, of course, there were some that would provide bragograms, as we would call it, front and back, about updates. This was long before social media. Y'all remember these days. What Paul says to his friends Sounds a lot like what you read or glance at when you open up that Christmas card from your Aunt Madge. Listen, and this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what's best so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Now the word love is, is not a great rendering or translation of what Paul truly intended. The word, of course, is agape, one of several different ways of understanding what we loosely describe as love. They were clearer and more precise in the rendering. Agape is an unconditional regard for others. Truly, it is an attitude of unconditional regard for others. It's how the writers of the New Testament describe God's love for us. It's steadfast, like the Old Testament Hebrew word of hesed. It is a love that knows no ends and no bounds, which makes sense when we see how Paul talks about this love, a love that overflows. That's what agape is. It's more, of course, than just words or, or even love letters. It's more than even an attitude. It's an action. It's a practice. What we know, of course, is that Agape begets more agape. Just as the article that I read the other day about how gratitude rewires our mind, that is when we live in a season of thanksgiving, it truly resets 
how we think and see and process the world. If we find ourselves dealing with bad attitudes from our our family members or ourselves, the remedy, of course, is a season of thanksgiving because in acknowledging what we have to be thankful for, it, it creates a very different landscape for how we encounter and experience the world around us. And the same is true with practicing agape. One act of agape, of of steadfast, unwavering regard and affection for someone else, it creates additional moments of that same practice. It's true. Paul's words are a mouthful. It's as though he never met a comma or a period. We know this. Because Paul, at times, is hard to wade through. Any of y'all read Romans? There's a lot there, but it's all good. In addition to just being wordy, Paul's words are intimidating, and they sound exhausting. I mean, really, on top of all that we've got to do, we've got to develop a love that yields wisdom and purity and a harvest of righteousness. I mean, I think I'll just sleep in and then play spider solitaire on my iPhone. Yes, Paul has lofty hopes for his home church. But he also includes a bit of hope to help them get over the hump. He says this in verse 6. I'm confident of this, y'all. I know this to be true. The one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, people. God did not bring you to this place for nothing. And he's certainly not, not done with you. So stop being done with God. Stop being done with church. Stop finding excuses why you don't have time to be involved in the ancient rhythms of being connected to a God who loves us and has died for us. Because God's not done with you. God has not brought you to this moment, to this place, to this pew for nothing. I know you've immediately disregarded my words, but it's true. Yes, I know that you're deep into retirement. Yes, I know that your body and soul are weary and tired. Yes, I know that you're preparing for that next step in life. Yes, I know that you are wrestling and struggling with any number of realities. God is using it for good because God's not done with us. God's not done with you, not nearly, not close. With every breath that you draw, God intends it for good. What is it Robert Frost once said? And miles to go before we sleep. And miles to go before we sleep. It's not time to rest yet. God finishes what he started, regardless of what happens along the journey. You don't believe me? Look at Jesus' life and ministry. Talk about things not going the way he thought. Disciples that rebelled, could never make sense of what he was talking about, that clung to old thinking, that couldn't see what was right there in front of him, that wouldn't offer up ears to hear or eyes to see. 
Yeah, things did not go according to Christ's plan. All we have to do is look at that window right there to know that Jesus' path was hard and difficult and littered with betrayal and difficulty and hardship. But Christ never gave up. Always seeking the Father's will, carving out space even and especially in sorrow to listen and to be in God's presence. Y'all, God is not done with you. The good work that Paul is talking about here that God has started, it's transforming grace. It's truly the process of sanctification. And I know I just lost most of you all in that moment, but it's worth a second glance. What God has begun in us continues to grow. So let's make certain that we are planted in fertile soil and good rhythms for ourselves and for our families by being tethered to God's presence, the good work that God's doing in us will be paved in ways that smooth out the hard places and that provide for us a vision of goodness on the other side of the rise that we may have forgotten about. This week I learned that a childhood friend of mine had died. I'd not seen John since I was a teenager. And so life and circumstances, of course, had become barriers to staying tethered. We have relationships like this in our lives, don't we? But I remember John nonetheless. I remember spending the night in his backyard, in the tree fort that his father had made. I remember camping and fishing, spending time as small children together. I was very sorry to learn that he had committed suicide. And I grieved for the wife that he left and the daughter that he would not get the chance to know. Grieve for his extended family. And I grieve because this is not an isolated story, is it? We talk about peace as a hope because we're not experiencing it. We know that we work and live and engage in a world that is hurting. My friend John must have been hurting for a long, long time. And I'm sorry I didn't know that. Many of us are hurting this morning also. We're grieving loss. We're grieving truth that we have learned. We are grieving hopes that have faded. And we certainly feel as though God is done with us. We look out at the world around us and we learn about yet another school shooting. 
the mental health crisis in our nation and in our world, they're spiking. Young people increasingly feel crippled by fear and anxiety. Rage and vengeance have become par for the course. One thing we can do to change the narrative is to write love letters and to hide them throughout our houses. That's what Paul is talking about here. That our love may overflow more and more. Y'all, we practice love, literally, we practice agape when we say, I love you with urgency and with increasing frequency. Love overflows more and more when we practice it. Agape does not exist if it resides in our minds and locked up in our hearts. Paul opens up his heart and he shares it with the people that he loves. And in doing so, he's begging us to do the same, especially this Christmas season. Practicing this kind of agape, love, and affection means seeing people differently, doesn't it? It means listening for messages that they may not freely share. It means seeing and hearing the pain that is almost certainly present in the sound of their voice, in the vacancy of their text messages and the lack of connection that we feel with one another. Y'all, God, just as God is not done with you, God is not done with your family or your friends or your associations of old and today. Paul shares a love letter to those he loves. And in Jesus, God shares a love letter to each of us at Christmas. This should be the gift we give to one another. The gift of love letters written and acted upon. For we know that life is fragile. It's delicate and fleeting and swiftly changing we know this to be true. Paul himself knew that he was likely to be sentenced to death. So don't delay. Allow yourself to be a messenger of hope and peace to others to let them know that God is not done with them yet either. Begin this very moment crafting your flowery, flowery language of eloquence and your penmanship, but also to do more than just share words, but to put these words into practice. For we know that the best love letters that we can write are those love letters that can become incarnate, truly embodied and real.
just like God's love to us in Christ Jesus. So tell me, where do you need to find love letters in your own life? Where do you need to hide them for others? God, we're grateful that you would write a love letter to us in Jesus Christ. Now help us, God, to share letters of love to others and for us to move beyond just phrases and words, but truly to put it into action with our presence, with our creativity, with our energy and resources and efforts. And then God, help us to be on the lookout for those letters of love and encouragement that you have scattered here at our church, at home and beyond. Because we're clinging to the hope, God, that you are not done with us. That's why we're here. We're clinging to that hope for we are desperate for your peace. It's in the name of the Christ child that we pray these things. Amen.